Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing? The sun is shining. We're into the fall market. We're through our last long weekend and it's go time. It's a busy market out there. Multiple offers are flying. I was just checking the stats yesterday and I think for the first time in my 18 year career, we are at 3,500 active listings in the Fraser Valley. And that is the lowest I've ever seen it. In fact, I think there was an article that came out from the uh, Fraser Valley board that said that that's the lowest uh, inventory since sometime in the 80s. So quite crazy times we're in and uh, navigating it can certainly be challenging at times. Uh, hence the topic and the guest for today, we get to speak with none other than our own managing broker, Natalie Tarrant. It's going to be a very topical conversation today. We're going to discuss four or five pertinent issues that uh, we are certainly all encountering in our transactions right now and that Natalie has seen from her perspective as well. So I'm very excited for this conversation. I've definitely put some prep into it. It's going to be very beneficial, I think, for uh, for everyone listening. So. Without further ado, let's give Natalie a call. Hello there. Hola. How are you? I'm good. You? <laughs> You're still thinking Mexican, apparently. I'm still thinking. <laughs> actually, you know what? I uh, We have to go to that place. Absolutely. I, I bumped into uh, Joe Pratap and David Corey today, and Joe said that there's like an hour wait to get in every night. So, oh, wow. Uh, so apparently it's quite the place. So we need to go at lunchtime then. So we, we need to go. Well, yeah, just as long as you have any afternoon <laughs> appointments, because we'll have to have margaritas, obviously. For sure. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, we'll have to do that the next week. Of course, everyone listening is going like, uh, what are they talking about? There's a new. Would you know? Remember the name of it? It's a new hotspot. It's, uh, I don't. I don't know. It's some uh, very authentic, legitimate Mexican name, and uh, it looks delicious. So. Uh, maybe, you know what, we'll get Justin to put the name of the restaurant in the, uh, in the podcast notes so that people can, can, uh, can click on it and find out what it is. And maybe we'll do a review on it next time. Well, in a week or so. Good idea. Yeah. Okay. I'm game. Yeah. So I kind of did, uh, an intro to this already. You know, I, I've done an intro that everybody will have heard by the time they're listening, uh, to this podcast, uh, okay. in terms of what we're going to be discussing. But before we do that, I, I, we can't go forward without asking and saying, like, how was your summer and what did you do and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Oh did you do, oh, my summer did you do anything great. exciting? Did you, do anything, did you go see, like, some corner of the province anywhere or anything like that? Yeah, or? yeah. I went to the Mission Dump. That was exciting. The Mission Dump? I, uh, I, you, yeah. You probably I saw some wildlife there. That's good. Well, you know, you, I live in Mission. I see wildlife all the time. Just look at my security cam. <laughs> I, I had a bear uh, walking down my street the other day, which was really nice. I caught it on my security cam. And I'm, this, I'm surprised it's the first one I've seen this year because I usually see them uh, all the time around huh. the area. So I love them. They're, they're incredible animals. Yeah, yeah. I kind of miss, I was at Michelle's open house today that she had the realtors open up in uh, the back hills. It's not really back hills, they call it in-town acreage. Oh yeah, a bit and, of a swanky pad there that she's selling, right? Yeah, yeah, on five acres and it just made me really miss living on acreage. I just, I love, I love the animals. I used to uh, get up with my coffee in the morning, my dog and my cats would go walk around the property to see what animal prints we could see from the night before that were on the property. 
Yeah, I love. So, love what that. are you? What are you in? Like a regular house now, or townhouse, or what do you yeah, live in? Yeah, regular. Right, I shouldn't say that. Near regular it. house. A, <laughs> regular we house need address. Everyone needs to know how to get a hold of you when you're not answering <laughs> your phone. <laughs> I don't answer my door, so go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You got a big yeah. dog, though, right? Don't you have a big? I do. Yeah. I have a German Shepherd. Yeah, ferocious German Shepherd. Absolutely. What's his and name? A, I, even more ferocious cat. My dog's name is Oliver. Oliver. And my okay. my cat's name is Kirk. Kirk. Okay. Kirk and Kirk and Oliver. Kirk yeah. and Oliver. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my world. There you go. That's your so. So what you you didn't like? Did you not go anywhere? Like you just literally stayed in mission or what? You must have gone you know, somewhere. Well, David got the good weeks because on my weeks we had intense heat and, and then smoke. we had intense smoke. So a lot of the hiking trails and that got closed down. Mm. Uh, whitewater rafting was you know a no go. Horseback riding, the place that we were going to go, um, apparently I guess that something happened to the owner, so they were shutting down. So yeah, so I had been trying to clean my garage for six years so it took me three days but i got it done <laughs> <laughs> so it was a staycation nice there that's right it was it was actually quite fun i i enjoyed my time off with some rearranging of my house and that kind of thing that you know nesting nesting did you find any good new sushi restaurants anywhere uh, you know i live in mission <laughs> come on there's some okay places in mission you know what middleton's um, gonna or someone's gonna hear you say that they're gonna get yeah. pissed at you for talking harry's gonna lose his mind <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, no, I did not find any new restaurants. I tried my favorite out there is actually Blackberry Kitchen. So I love going out there, have a glass of wine. You can, you know, get the outside seats, you know, the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and when they do the music festival out there, you can listen to the music. It's it's on Heritage Park. I don't know if you've ever been there. Yeah, I've heard um, of it a couple of times, but I've never been there. Yeah, it's my favorite restaurant out there. But I didn't, when I went to go there, when I got there, they kind of, if you don't have reservations, you can't come in. So I didn't even get to do that. Uh, but my dog and I went on some great walks, so that's okay. right. So yeah. none of those questions really worked out. That was, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm a boring, boring girl. <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, well, we have tons to talk about. Yay. So there's, uh, I okay, so I'll do, like a little backdrop. I did this a little bit in the, uh, in the intro, but we have an insane market. There's roughly 3,500 homes for sale in the Fraser Valley, which is the lowest inventory we've had since the 80s. Certainly the lowest mm-hmm. you or I have ever seen. I've been in this gig yeah. for 18 years. I think you are similar, right? You're around 18 uh, years, 25. aren't you? 25. 25. Look at that. You're yeah. like seven years younger than me. That's amazing. And, <laughs> and uh, so we've never seen inventory like this, you or I. No. Even the old no. fart, David, probably hasn't seen inventory like this. Yeah, probably not. So that's creating some circumstances where we got things going on in contracts that we've either A, never seen before, or we've seen very rarely. And then you combine that with this world of where there's so many moving parts and mm-hmm. uh, forms have changed and regulations have changed. Regulators have changed. Regulators have changed. <laughs> That's right. We don't even have the council anymore. So yeah. it's just, it's nuts. And I know you've been working your ass off going through the FinTrack stuff, trying to get the office set up to be able to, you know, be uh, legal moving forward with compliant, FinTrack yeah. compliant. Uh, but so there's anyways, within that, in the context of all that, we're going to cover like four, maybe five topics if we have time today of things that are actually going on in real deals that you and I have both seen. And I think it's mm-hmm. going to be beneficial for everybody listening. So okay. there's the, uh, there's the overriding intro. Okay. Let's dive into first, you actually emailed me a really good one. I'm kind of wanting to start maybe with one of the ones you sent me. You I talked about on what I emailed you. <laughs> well, you talked to me, you, you said this, um, 
I, I like it. So I, I'm going to say it's the one uh, about the proposed levy clause. So this oh, is, yeah. we have a strata and there's this typical clause and I've used it as well. And it's, it's something like, you know, the, the buyer and seller agree that if there's a special levy voted on or proposed prior to completion, uh, the seller's responsible. That's the very, like, I just butchered it, but that's like the layman's terms of what it is. So yeah. maybe I'm going to shut up and let you talk because there's some stuff in here that you're concerned about. Uh, and then after you talk, I'll maybe fire off some questions. Sure. Um, it's, it's too bad because I don't have that actual clause in front of me, but I think probably everybody understands what you're talking about. You it. know what? I'll, pu- I'll pull it up while, we're, okay. while you're talking because, you know, okay. technology is yeah. my friend. I'm I'm going to uh I'm just going to ca- uh, turn my phone hotspot on and you talk and I'll and I'll search and okay. hopefully I won't be distracting. Sure. Well, the the clause you're talking to refers to any special or any levies that have been um approved prior to completion will be paid by the seller. And there's a standard clause that's always been in our knowledge base that reflects that. And over, you know, through the years people mod- modify clauses. Um, and over the years, uh, other people have modified them so it includes proposed levies. And then they modified it even more to say proposed levies that had been, um, I think, proposed by in an, a, an SGM or an AGM coming up. Yes. So they're trying to get, they're trying to make sure they're covering everything, which is fabulous. But what they're missing is you talk about a proposed levy and that the seller will pay that. When you're on the buyer's side, great clause, right? You're trying to make sure that you know the buyer's butt's covered. Sure. But when you're a seller and you allow that into the contract, you're actually obligating the seller to an unknown because we don't have a dollar figure attached to that, right? Okay, hang on. Let me let me just ask a question to that. So, okay, because yep. you're seeing it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get our wording, but because because okay. you're saying it's the wording I think says voted on or proposed, correct? Yeah, sure. And yeah. of course, if it's proposed, we don't have a final number, so you can't possibly know what you're Bingo. committing yourself to. Right. And that's it's something I've talked about for years and I try to get people to understand is I understand the, the 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 idea and the thoughts behind this clause. And it's fine if you're a buyer. But if you're on the seller side, you're obligating to the seller to some possibly obligating the seller at completion to have to cough up some more money to complete when maybe he needs that money to move on to his next transaction, right? And now he can't complete his next transaction because somebody's talking about a proposed levy. So he's got a hold back now, say ten, twenty thousand dollars of money that he was not thinking that he would have to or money that he was thinking he was gonna get. Yeah, that's um, from the se- like from the day. seller's perspective. He's got twenty right. grand that's being held on to. Got it. Right. Yeah. So it could cause problems for his next transaction because he wasn't planning on that. And of course, if that happens, then guess who's getting in trouble? <laughs> It'll be the realtor. It'll also be the seller because, you know, if he can't do it, then, you know, he's going to be in breach of contract. So he has to, that would obligate him to hold, to have that money held back. So that's, that's a danger. Um, and we shouldn't be allowing that. There is a special levy holdback clause specific to to handle anything that may or may not come up, but it requires a number and it requires the terms on when that holdback would be paid out and an end date, right? So that it'll be held for this long. So I have a clause. I, I'm going to read a clause out. This is, th- okay. granted, this might not be the most up-to-date. I just opened one of my strata deals from the past year. So okay. there was a time at least when this is what we were using. It just says, if a special levy is approved, so it doesn't say voted on or proposed, it says approved, mm-hmm. on or before the completion date, the seller shall credit the buyer with the entire portion of the special levy that the buyer is obligated to pay under the Strata Property Act, and the seller hereby directs the buyer's lawyer or notary public to hold back such credit, blah, blah, blah. 
So okay, I'm going to stop you on that one it, in case there's more because well, that th- part th- is fine. Well, that's all. That's all. Uh, that's all we had. So, like, you know, this was a, you know, a, presumably a David-approved clause. It's actually a council-approved clause. Or council-approved clause. So, yeah. from, you know, this is like maybe 10 months ago at the most. Mm-hmm. But I've seen these clauses say things like voted on or proposed mm-hmm. rather than approved. approved. Yeah. And that's so where strata, you're saying the gray area is. Yeah. Because the Strata Property Act, anything that is approved prior to completion and due before completion will always be on the onus, will always be on the seller to pay that because that's written right into the Strata Property Act. Got if it. it's voted on and approved um, and say it's on installments, so let's say um, they're paying, uh, I don't know, $2,000 every six months towards this. So they pay $2,000 before completion, then there's still maybe two more installments of $2,000 to go after completion. Mm-hmm. Then then it's the after completion amount that you want to make sure is, is also going to be paid by the seller or not. It's negotiable. But that clause that you just reiterated would cover that because anything approved prior to completion will be paid by the seller. So that's good. Our standard clause is going to cover that. Right. Okay? So, so that part is good. Okay. So then I just want to be crystal clear on what you're uncomfortable with then. Because in mm-hmm. this, as I read it, in this scenario, we would we could still have a situation where a seller is on the hook for an amount of money that they didn't anticipate at the time of signing a contract. Because what happens if we've got four months in between doing a deal and completion? And in that time, a levy gets approved, okay, not just proposed, but approved. Mm-hmm. And let's say it's like six grand. Well, mm-hmm. in that, in this case then, and according to the Strata Property Act, the seller is still totally responsible for all of that payment, correct? Yeah, if it's approved and due before completion. Oh, what? okay, hang on a second. So that's where I'm missing you. And okay. due, like even if they pace it out over 18 months, you're telling me mm-hmm. that unless we clarify that, they're, it's, they're only responsible for what's due up until completion? As for the Strata Property Act, but the standard Got clause that we it. put in says okay. it actually covers the, the amounts due after as well. Because we say clause, yeah. the buyer will, uh, the seller will credit the buyer. This clause says the buyer will, sell, the seller will credit the buyer with the entire portion of the special levy. Yeah. 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 But you're not concerned. So I was understanding you to say that you're concerned. What were you concerned with then? In, in Proposed. The, just the proposed. proposed yeah. So if you go back to what you're talking about, you're going to have a form B and that form B is going to talk about the money's owed and the installments that are still owed and, and so on. So they're going to be aware of that. The seller's going to be aware of that. There's going to be the standard clause. In most cases, sometimes it gets missed that this um, anything approved and due before and after is going to be paid by the seller. So your standard clause should cover that as long as you have an alternate, right? Okay. It's when we get the proposed levies. So people just, it's an all caps clause in case there's anything proposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we don't have a dollar number. Yeah, we don't have a dollar number. And what you're talking about, especially on a longer completion, um, there could be a proposed levy. Now, if there's an ADM that comes up between when you've written your contract and when your completion is, you should be aware of that, right? Because that's when these things sometimes happen or an SGM, right? So it's just a matter of you need to understand and be aware. And I, I always counsel people take out that proposed part because... Um, if somebody's really worried about something, like the buyer should be doing their due diligence, reading those minutes and making sure that there's nothing possibly coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is and they're concerned about something, then put in the, the proper holdback clause 
So the seller is aware of monies that he may not get at closing if this, you know, if something gets approved before then or how, like it's, this clause is written in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Some people just say proposed levy and they don't define what proposed is. Right. So yep. it, it can be it can be uh, written in many ways. So I always alert people if it says proposed, take that stuff out. If they're worried about something, make them go back and put in a proper holdback loss. And Got then that it. way it'll have the dollar value. Nobody's going to be surprised at completion. And-, and where you're seeing this issue in our contracts is it's f- with our people representing sellers. Right. Crappy clauses are coming in from non little oak buyer agents that's really right what it and is. yeah and it's gonna yeah, exactly because our standard clause doesn't have the proposed stuff in it our well because we're, we're perfect and amazing and we're just we having, are. yeah exactly that's where it. i learned all my stuff was here so I, you know i totally get good it stuff. yeah so i mean but in the other brokerages like i've been talking about this for years and you still see it going on and going on and i try to get people trained to cross that out so that you're protecting your seller Right. And if it's a negotiating point, fine, put in the proper clause, proper holdback clause, and sure. then everybody's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's good. We nailed that one. Beautiful. Next one, Kate, let's talk about deposits. Oh, okay. So this is ridiculous. So we got, okay. So the whole new paperwork, we got to track, you know, where the money's coming from. Oh, receipt of funds. Yeah. This is the receipt of funds. <laughs> so there's, there's more I want to talk about with deposits, but just the, let's cover the receipt of funds thing. So everyone okay. is aware of this. And is doing this now, I think, right? Like we're good. Yeah, we've, we're, we're pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're pretty good. But just to be clear, receipt of funds has to be done on every single deal, no yeah. matter what, right? Like there's no Any, exceptions yeah. at all. Anytime you have a buyer, you're going to need a receipt of funds form. Got every it. time you have a buyer, it doesn't matter where their deposit is going to, it has to be because we have the relationship with the buyer. We have to fill out the receipt of funds form. Got it. If and it's it, a wire transfer to a developer, doesn't matter. You still have to do the receipt of funds form. Even if deposit goes directly to seller yep. and bypasses our brokerage, you mm-hmm. still have to do receipt of funds. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was not aware of that until you scolded me yesterday. Um, so I oh, didn't scold me. I'm not so true. But I, I was like, why the hell do we have to take this? This is stupid. We're not even yeah. holding it. And you said, no, this is the way it is. So, yeah. um, it's so federal law, federal law, no matter what we work with a buyer, we have to, and, yeah. and the receipt of funds is, it's very easy. It's, it's account number. Mm-hmm. It's the name on the account and it's the type of the account it is. It's a checking savings, whatever. Right. And when we do, like when I did the training on the changes, what I try to, to get people to do. And again, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's going to take habit and whatnot to get into this, but Syntrax forms are not always comfortable for people. So we're doing loader searches and asking more questions than we were before. Um, it's, it's a really good time right at the beginning of your relationship to sit down with your clients and tell them, listen, I'm going to have to ask you some uncomfortable questions or questions that you may find uncomfortable, but unfortunately we're governed by federal law and we have to ask you these things. And one of those will be, you know, once you're you're in the position where we're putting a deposit down and we're doing the subject removal or subject free, whatever it is, when we're getting that deposit, I'm going to have to ask you through your account number and the names of, of the people that, that have that account. So I just want you to know now so that you're not, you know, taken the back and upset when we do it later. And then you're preparing them. You're setting the stage, right? Well, I actually think, so not to try to put a positive spin on, on things, because, you know, I can certainly bitch and complain about things too. But mm-hmm. I will say that a lot of these extra regulatory things that on first glance seem ridiculous and like maybe government overreach or a pain in the butt, while I might agree that some things are government overreach, they are, uh, it's a great like um, threshold barrier 
for weeding out clients who are more likely to waste your time. The sooner true. you bring this, bring this stuff up early in a relationship, and if anyone gives mm -hmm. you pushback, then you have to question, well, listen, this isn't my doing, this is, this is law, and if you've got a mm -hmm. problem with this, that tells me something about you as well. Mm -hmm. And also, not to forget, uh, you know, I, I encountered, I did, I did one of these with a client here recently, and, um, you know, I'd kind of said to them that, you know, hey, this is kind of new, you know, whatever, we're going to do this. And they said to me, they're like, it's really not that different than they do at lawyers and banks all the time. Yeah. So the consumer, yeah. I think, actually doesn't think this is as big of a deal as we do. I think the consumer is just like, yeah, you know, this is what I got to do everywhere I go now. You know, you have a very good point. You actually brought something up that I, I should say, and I should be more positive about this all the time. I <laughs> But what totally. it tastes good. The, I like it. It tastes yeah, good. Yeah. It's delicious. In the last little while, just going through all the changes and all the FinTrack stuff I've gone through, one of the things I hear from people all the time is, so we do all of this to catch the one person that's going to wander in the 10 years we do business kind of thing. And the reality is we do this so these people don't try to launder money. So chances are we're not going to catch anybody. The the whole idea is to deter the money laundering. It's like when, you know, they, you got a group of bad kids in a store that, you know, some store detective thinks they might uh, steal. He's going to go up and hang out and be around them so that they, they know that they're being watched and they won't steal. It's preventative stuff that we're doing. It's not detective stuff that we're doing. It's not, do you know what I mean? Totally. It's, yep. Yeah. It's preventative. So Absolutely. Really, it, and and there's a lot to it, and I get that, and I know that that I mean it's frustrating. It's frustrating on this end way more than it's frustrating on the real estate side of things. Trying to be in the back and trying to you know stay up with all the rules and create policies and stuff is takes a lot of time. But the other side of the coin is we're doing this um, and to make the, the the public more comfortable with our profession too. It's like here we are, we're doing our best to to um, deal with the money laundering issues that are out there because you know that's in the public eye right now that everybody's making a big deal about real estate and how you know prices are going up because everybody's laundering their money through it. Um, they can't because we've got all of these safeguards, and that's another way to to approach your clients with it. Is that this is what we're doing to make sure that this doesn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. so. Totally. Yep. I like yeah. it. Okay, a couple more things on the deposit thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, there's, 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 there's not nitpicking, but I've seen some people in conversations over the difference between certified funds and bank draft and then mm -hmm. deposit coming upon acceptance, 24 hours after acceptance, and then what's mm -hmm. deemed to have been collected. Does that mean in the agent's hand or deposited into the account? Can you just speak to some of that stuff and give us sure. <laughs> a black and white definitive authoritarian answer yeah where would you like me to start well I'll start um, with i know that i like what's the difference certified funds and bank draft like is there a like yeah. what does it matter yeah, well yeah it does certified funds is more of a uh thing where you know the bank will say yeah the funds are in the in the account right now but they're not guaranteeing they're going to be there when we process the check you know what i mean so a bank draft, they actually hold those funds aside and say, okay, this has already been spent. You can't spend this out of your account. Because when you make the bank draft, the ca it's like you're walking around with the cash when you pull it that's out. That's right. You, yeah. there, that's it. That money's on reserve for, for when that bank draft comes through, that will be cash and that's, that's it, right? That money will always be there on a certified fund. It's, yes, the money's here right now, but when that check gets processed, there's no guarantee, no guarantee that that money's going to be there then. 
So then we need to stay away from certified funds or certified check and only say yeah, bank draft. Yeah, it should be bank draft. Bank, bank draft. draft. Wire transfer has been um, allowable as well, but we prefer no wire transfers because of the. a lot of people don't understand the, the amount of time it takes to process a wire transfer. So if I transfer the money to you today, it may not get there for three days. And these are business days. So right? then if I had subject removal today yeah. and I had wired, let's say I had wire transfer on the contract because I had to. Yeah. You're telling me that I can't, initiate the wire transfer today because then technically the brokerage doesn't have the funds for another 48 to 72 hours? Yeah, it could be that long, right? So it needs and to so, be initiated and then we would be doing a late deposit thing right. because it only came in two days from now? Right. If it was due today or tomorrow and it didn't get in until after that, then that would be a late deposit. And obviously the thing with late deposits is it's not just another form we fill out. It actually means, you know, if you don't, if the buyer doesn't pay the deposit as per clause two in your CPS, reopen the contract. The seller, yep. The seller may, the seller actually has the, the power at that point to say, well, I don't want to go through with this anymore. In a market like we've got, we don't need that because there could have been somebody talking in their ear saying, hey, I'll give you 50 grand more. Can you get that of your contract? And it's happened. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. You don't tell sellers they can get out of their contract. Just, you know, to be clear, you say they may be able to get out of the contract and tell them to get legal advice. We don't give that legal advice. But yeah. as for clause two, if you want to read it in the CPS, that's what it says. Hmm. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. why I've heard the, the, the chatter about not doing wire transfers never made yeah. sense to me because I think they're easy, but it's because of the delay. Yeah. It's not because they're hard. It's just, you got to be planning your timing properly. Right. And there is a cost to them and they ha that has to be factored in and, and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's way better to do a bank draft. That's your most, um, the easiest way to make sure we have the money on time and, and able to put it in the account and satisfy everything. No issues to your contract. Okay. Perfect. That's crystal clear. Mm -hmm. Look That's at that. Good. We've done two, two in like, it's <laughs> only taken us what, 25 minutes? We're flying. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not looking at the time. <laughs> okay. This is a good one. I want to talk about the, so we've had a lot of deals in this context where sellers are using their position of leverage to either A, negotiate options for rent backs oh. or, or B, they're doing this thing where, you know, you've got completion on, you know, June 1st and then possession isn't until September 1st. So there's a massive spread yeah. between the two. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have done both of these. So like I can, I will, I'm happy to be the guinea pig for this conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then enters the, okay, now as an agent, you're participating in creating a tenancy agreement, potentially not always, but sometimes you are depending on how you word these things. And mm -hmm. now, you know, you don't want to have us involved in, uh, doing tenancy agreements because everybody except for Dan Lang and company aren't <laughs> licensed to do that. So right. what do we, uh, to talk about your concerns in that and, you know, what you want to see and what you don't want to see, and then maybe I'll push back a bit and ask questions. Well, if you're, if you are going to do, um, one of those delayed possessions, I mean, you have to determine with the clients what is their intention. So if they want it to be a tenancy agreement, then you would write it. Um, I believe there's a, a clause in web forms for this, or if it's not a web form, it should be on the knowledge base. Um, you would write it subject to the buyer and seller entering into a tenancy agreement on or before such and such and to the benefit of both buyer and seller. However, you wouldn't be writing that tenancy agreement. They would, you would counsel them to either see a lawyer or go download the agreement themselves and between them come up with that agreement. You shouldn't be involved in writing that agreement. Uh, so that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is one where it actually doesn't, um, if they don't want it to be a tenancy agreement, which is 
uh, I think probably I, I I won't say my opinion on that actually because that could be construed as legal advice and I don't want to do that. But it depends on the situation and and the intention of of the parties. But um, knowledge base has some good clauses, but I think I haven't seen one any better than what we have under our miscellaneous clauses in web forms because it's quite detailed as who's responsible for what. It talks about insurance and and things that um, the knowledge base clauses don't talk about. So I do request or suggest to everybody if you don't go, if you haven't looked through our office clauses and specifically our miscellaneous clauses, David's got some great stuff in there that he's compiled over the years that are super. Like it, it, they're, um, I don't see them everywhere else, and it's very uh, I, all his clauses get vetted. So who, use, who is clauses? Say that again. David. David oh, David. Yeah, 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 yeah. David. He's yeah. this big guy. He walks around the office. You might have seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, yeah, big guy. teddy bear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the guy. Yeah. Um, so he's got some great causes. So familiarize yourself with what's in there because there's a lot that will um, apply to different situations. But that one in particular, I think, is better than any that I've seen. And um, familiarize yourself with that. And that talks about it. Not it isn't a tendency. We've got a complete or I've got a, a start date and an end date and what's all uh, detailed. Who's responsible for for utilities? Uh, I believe it would cover. I think this. Yeah, it would cover uh, anything mentionable. Anything that I would be concerned about seems to be covered in that clause. So it's it's one to uh, to definitely make yourself familiar with if you're going to do these kind of things. And always, 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 when there's something a little bit offbeat like that, always have a, um, a, a independent legal advice clause specific to that particular thing. So I know we have an all-encompassing legal advice clause in our contracts, but um, it's better for you. It'll come, protect you better if you have one in there that is specific specifically uh, either a subject, if you can hopefully get a subject into the, I always feel subjects are better because they can go in there and, and get them satisfied. There's some, some, some time span there, uh, but subject to, to legal advice, uh, specifically um, on a late possession and have them go talk to their lawyer. And if they don't want to, waive that subject, okay? Then you are covered, right? So that's very, very important. Okay, so this is something where I feel regulatory lawyer jargon just doesn't at all fly with the actual practical needs of the consumer in the context we're in. Okay. So, and, and here I'll just going to, so I'm just going to speak from my completely layman experience here. So, you know, we've got multiple offers flying. You're sitting at a, at a, at your dining room table. You got, you know, you're, you're representing your sellers. You got 10 offers and the sellers go, this is what we need, right? We want flexibility. And there's, in this environment, you know, the vast majority of homes are selling subject free. There's mm -hmm. no way it makes sense to insert a clause that, you know, a clause that's for the benefit of the buyer and seller means that whatever you do in that moment, you now don't have a firm and binding contract. And the, and the vast right. majority of sellers intentions in this moment, when they've got everyone frothing at the mouth is to leverage the moment, walk away with a firm and binding contract and lock it down. So mm -hmm. I just like, I, I hear you on the, like, I get it. You know, it always is nice to have subjects, but I just don't think that, that that's necessarily a practical thing to do. I think if I were to suggest that to a client right now, they might give me the squirrely eye and go, are you kidding me? You want to not have a firm and binding contract today? You want to wait two days while we go talk to a lawyer about this? Like, <laughs> to me, that's actually creating a potentially bigger problem. So I say to you in these situations, what's your appetite for risk? 
Okay, so are you asking me or? <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, as, I'm, as, I'm asking. I'm asking you. And here's what I would do. To be honest, I would explain the situation to my client, whichever side I'm on. Here's what I'm recommending. If you don't want to do, if you don't want to get legal advice, if you're worried about losing the client, that's your choice. How would you like me to proceed? And you document this. Right. So here's right? okay. So here and then and then what what we're also you know up against in these scenarios is so we've got it. We've got. Oftentimes we've got a context where the buyer and seller are looking to their agents to just make everything work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like mm -hmm. from their perspective, it's like, well, you're the, you're the hired professional. I'm paying you money. Like, don't tell me yeah. you're incapable of something. Just friggin' do it. Yeah. Right. I know. So, what a situation to be in. Right. So then I, I'm trying to find, so, okay. Now I say all that to say, and I'll use, again, I'll use myself as the guinea pig. This is what I did. And you seemed to be okay with this. I think we, <laughs> you know, I, I did a deal where we, we didn't put subject to them figuring it out. We just put a, mm -hmm. a term in the, the contract that said upon completion, the seller becomes a tenant for a fixed period of time. Uh, you know, it's like such and such a month, you know, some very generic thing. I did not create a tenancy agreement. It's a part of the contract. And the buyer and seller were told that, you know, neither realtor is creating the tenancy agreement. You guys can go do this on your own or have the lawyers do it. We don't care, but we're not doing it. Yeah. That maybe, is maybe the term that they would do this on their own. Yeah. Later. Yeah. yeah. You're, you put... you're okay with that. But I did not put a, uh, you know, I didn't do anything like subject to them talking to a lawyer about this because we did a firm yeah. and binding contract right there in that moment. It's, I wouldn't be worried so much about it if it's subject to them entering it and you didn't do it subject, but subject to them entering into a tenancy agreement because that tenancy agreement is going to handle um, a, a lot of the, the issues that would be handled by a subject or putting that clause that uh, David has in, in the contract. So I probably wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, it, it just like, it depends on what you're including when you say that, right? So generally speaking, if you include, Hey, the buyer and seller, and I do see this buyer and seller agree that the seller will, will, uh, be in possession of the home until such and such a date, the buyer will say the buyer will pay this amount. The buyer will cover this. Like there's little things as long as that's covered. And, um, you know, basically you're, you're somewhat okay. It's not as good as doing David's clause, which will cover your butt. It's your butt I'm worried about, right? Mm -hmm. um, keeping you out of jail. And so, I mean, you're, it's okay, but it's not as good as. And often when we're writing contracts in a market like we're in, our contracts are not as good as um, mm -hmm. they would be if we had the time to, to uh, do our subjects and let our people do our due diligence, do their due diligence and so on. So you're doing the best you can at the time. It's the conversations that you're going to have with your people at that time as well, saying, I'm going to recommend because this is going to cover your ass, right? Sorry, your butt. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, you're going to recommend to them, hey, this is, this is what I think, this is what I'd normally like to do. Um, if you feel, client, that we don't have the time to do this, I understand that. We could also go this route. How would you like to proceed? So give them the choice, right? And yeah, I know a lot of times they're going to say, well, I don't know, you know, what, what do you think? But you're just going to have to walk your way through that. And then that's when your appetite for risk and how comfortable you are and your professional judgment all come into play, right? And that's what we get paid for. Totally. Okay. So that's fine. I recognize this isn't black and white. I, so yeah. then why not, like what I'm hearing you say, the best thing to do then is to not create a tenancy. Just go completion, and again, just to use some generic dates, completion's on June 1. Let's say they need three months flexibility, so then it's going to be all June, all July, all August, and then possession is August 30th. Mm -hmm. 
that you like better using again that clause that we have uh we'll call it david's clause it, it eloquently mm -hmm. talks about how the spread between completion and possession does not constitute a tenancy agreement mm -hmm. and so that i agree that that is good but the here's the rub and this is what i said to you the other day when you and i were were uh, talking about this if the buyer needs to show either a a tenancy or revenue for their financing mm, this is right. where the regulatory bodies and the banks are not on the same page so right. the reason i created an actual tenancy in this last deal that you reviewed that we ended up talking about was because the buyer's agent said andrew we can do this but as of completion we have to show a tenancy agreement because there's no way the buyer can buy this without showing the proper income to to service the debt and mm -hmm. like Yes, and at the end of the day, the bank is God in the sense that the deal doesn't mm -hmm. fly if the bank's not satisfied, right? Yeah. So we had a non-subject deal because that's what's going on. And so that's, mm -hmm. you know, in this case, we're bending to the requirements of a bank and there's just, there's no way around it, right? It just is, it is what it is. Right, and that's, and that's okay because what, so when you say to me that, you, that I would prefer we do one way or the other, I actually don't prefer it just depends on the situation and who you're acting for, what's going to work out the best, right? So, and this is, again, what we get paid for is we go in there with our, our expertise and, and, and work around the issue. So, in this case, that's what you had to do. That's what you have to do, right? Um, there's, we, we don't have control over everything. And, and like you say, it's not black and white. Like, if it was black and white, what would they need us for? They could have all of these contracts written up online, download, sell your house, here you go, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that would be a scary situation because there are a lot of intricate things that come into play. Can you imagine not having realtors in a market like we're in here? We're oh, kind of it would, it'd be, yeah, yeah, right? it'd be a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, but there is no, there is no one solution fits all. There isn't in, in law anywhere, I don't think. It's just, I mean, that's what's so fascinating to me about the law is it, there is, it's, it can change tomorrow what we do. They could bring something new down because of a, um, a court case that gets settled and then, oh my gosh, now we have to do this because this happened and this, that, you know, we've got to have to do this now to protect our clients and to protect ourselves right so yeah okay that's good i think we exhausted that i know that that's one where <laughs> it's not black and white it, the best we can do yeah. is it is gray but but um whatever i guess to your point you know about risk how much risk are you willing to take on and yeah try to do and the what's best, best for the situation yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah yeah okay this one, this next one, I couldn't believe when you told me this. This is, uh, so we have a scenario where, uh, this is super common, right? Like we have these, um, what is it? Clause 20A on the contract. Like when oh, somebody wants to, when they want to be able to assign it, right? And you get, there's a few different kinds of assignments. You get the one kind where it's like, okay, we just want to flip it between family members. And that's mm -hmm. not really the one I want to talk about. It's when we have the absolute right to assign, which gets mm -hmm. done in a lot of deals still you know it's funny for all the legislation and talk that went on about it like it seems like a waste i don't know a lot of the deals i'm in the, the seller signs off no problem to absolute assignment mm -hmm. and then we have a scenario where let's say so uh we'll just say buyer a whether it's a buyer or a company it doesn't matter when they assign it that entity doesn't stay on the contract they go like okay it's going from Brian Jones to XYZ limited company. Mm -hmm. Now, Brian Jones is still like perhaps a, a shareholder in that company or whatever, but Brian Jones himself is no longer on the contract. 
Because that's yeah, you're okay. Yeah, that is an absolute assignment because and this is and this goes back to understanding corporations and and what a corporation is. Yeah. So Brian Jones is an individual, yeah. right? Um, it, even if it's called Brian Jones's Donuts, doesn't matter. Limited. That's a separate entity. So another individual. So a corporation has the same legal rights as, as a natural person. So they're two separate to use the, the word, two separate people. So it's going from Brian Jones, one person, to Brian Jones Limited, Donuts Limited, yeah. second person. So it is an absolute assignment. Okay, so let's just slow down and pick this apart for a second before we say what I couldn't believe was true. And maybe some people listening are going to go, well, I always knew that. I certainly didn't. But if Brian Jones puts his wife on the contract with him, mm-hmm. all we do is we draft an addendum that says Linda Jones is on the contract. Correct? Depends on how your contract written. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But I, I, we have the absolute right to, in the context that we have the ability to do this. Okay, an absolute so assignment. We have an absolute assignment. Like, just for the purpose of this conversation, let's say we have the absolute option to do whatever we want with a contract. Brian, mm, wants to add, Brian wants to add Linda. He adds Linda. That's fine. Like, he adds Linda. And, you know, we got to do some paperwork with Linda and get her FinTrack stuff and whatever. But, but mm-hmm. that's that. The contract stays the same. What mm-hmm. I was shocked by is that when Brian Jones wants to take the contract and move it into a totally separate name, whether it be a Holdco he's a part of, a donut shop, whatever, that triggers a brand new assignment contract. You have to draft an entirely separate contract, not just an yes. addendum, in order to do that. Yes, yes. It's a whole other transaction. It's a whole other contract. And depending on how you're, so again, everybody should be familiar with knowledge base as well. So if you're not familiar, um, we used to have a professional standards manual that is gone. We have what's called the knowledge base and the knowledge base has a bunch of clauses. They've recently um, up, uh, updated the assignment clauses and I love them now. They're, they're so much better because they can handle these situations that we're talking in a, in a better way. So yes, from Brian Jones to go to Brian Jones holding company, that would be two separate people, separate entities, full on assignment contracts required. If you, and technically, and they will do this in um, developments as well. If you're, if you bought a development and then you want to come and add your wife on later, a lot of the developers will ask you to do a full on assignment contract for that as well. So just beware. But the clauses that we have in in, um, in knowledge base now, if you think someone is going to want to add on another family member, just add on a buyer. Uh, they've got a new clause, and this is great because I heard about it from last time I did the assignments course with Brian Taylor. Um, it basically says this: says notwithstanding section 28 of this contract, the buyer may, without further consent of the seller, add, and then you have to insert the person's name. So you can't just be a family member. Okay. Insert the Got specific it. person's name as an additional buyer prior to completion. And this is the best part is it says, and the seller agrees to sign completion documents as are necessary to reflect that addition. That is a change. And so what that's saying is that because you have this in your contract initially, if I want to add on my, my wife later, it can just be done as a lawyer's office because it says in here that the seller agrees to sign completion documents as are necessary to reflect that. Completion documents, we're talking about a Form A transfer. That's the completion document at the law office. And they have agreed in your contract that they will sign it. They can't say, no, that's not who was the buyer on my contract. I'm not going to sign that. Okay. So it makes sense. But here's, again, just using my own scenario as the guinea pig for conversation. So where this came up is I had a deal like this. 
mm-hmm. a week before completion, buyer goes, I'm flipping it into this company. And they have the right to do that, like according to the contract. They can do whatever they okay. want according to the contract. Absolute assignment is in there. It, yeah. It was, okay. yeah, yeah. So they yeah. go, I want to put it in XYZ Limited or whatever. Okay, fine. So the way I view this, I go, well, it's, and this is not just to this scenario. I, I think of this through every scenario. They have the right to do that as per the contract of purchase and sale. I don't even believe, and I believe lawyers uh, will agree with this, we don't need to draft an addendum stating that because it's already in the contract that they can do that. And the lawyers have the freedom to register however they want on registration. So the only reason there was an addendum requested in my particular deal was because the lender, again, we're back to banks controlling everything, Mm -hmm. The lender right. said, well, if we're going to provide financing on this deal, we need a piece of paperwork that says this new XYZ company is on the contract. Even though we've got the clause, they refused to read the clause in the contract. They needed to see an mm-hmm. addendum. So to satisfy the lender, we create an addendum that says, okay, this, per- this entity is now the buyer. We didn't even have the seller sign it. That, that was mm-hmm. the ridiculous thing. Yeah. We just sent it to the lender. Lender was satisfied. And then because I didn't want anything to do with an assignment contract, I just said the lawyers can do this at the law offices. And Mm -hmm. that, and that worked like that. It all happened. It went through. So what do you, what do you say about that? Well, it just, it's what I usually tell people in this situation now is just, they need to understand that you can't assign a contract by addendum. That's not assigning a contract. You can say that we're going to do it. You can give notice by addendum that we are doing it, but that's not an assignment. So we have to watch um, what the regulator's rules. So and as far as the regulator is, is if they're putting it in a whole other, I can't remember, was that one in, that was just adding on a name or what was that one? Sorry. No, no, no. It was an absolute assignment. It was going from absolute, one okay. name yeah. to, but, yeah. but like it happened. I just told the yeah, lawyer, we just said, yeah. hey, lawyers, the client is doing this as per their CPS. Uh, yeah. You can register it however you want, but I'm not doing yeah. an assignment contract. Yeah. And, and, it and, that, and that's fine. Because usually what I tell people is talk to your conveyancing lawyer on how they want you to do it. Some of them want an assignment contract. Some of them will say, yeah, no problem. We'll just register it like the old days. Right, <laughs> we exactly. We used to be able to do that, right? So it's going to depend on the lawyer in that situation. But what people have to understand is, um, according to our regulator, that requires an assignment contract. Interesting. So because like yeah. right now... Technically speaking, the buyer of that property is not the entity that I have collected all of the FinTrack stuff for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like but I, if you supply me with a notice saying it's being assigned to so-and-so, you have to collect that information and submit it to the file, just so you know. Right, but I but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk later. <laughs> because we gave that we just gave a form to the bank. I'm just and I, I'm not saying, like, I'm just saying, like, this is yeah, a I real know. life conundrum like you get regulators saying they want something one way and then you get consumers and banks going well we want it this way yeah and it's just like it's some of it's just ridiculous right so well it is and that's and that's kind of like a lot of the stuff that we're working with like we were talking yesterday like federal law with fintrack and then we've got the regulator chiming in saying yeah and they want you to do this too but and this is for fintrack but it's not federal law but we want you doing this anyways because we're your regulator you know what i mean and it's and it's but okay, trying to keep everybody straight. All the people that have their have their uh, hands in the cookie jar here are telling us a bunch of things. And that's the fun of David and my job is that we have to be on top of all of that. And then we get the fun job of letting you guys know what they want today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and we're not through it all. I mean, the, you know, like you're just, you're not even totally done figuring out all the FinTrack crap. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> not yet. Like, 
we're working on it. <laughs> and that's coming, like, when are we supposed to be, like, operational with that? Like, November or something? Or um, Actually, for, for FinTrack, we've got to the end of March to be completely compliant, right? But they could come in here today and see, they would want to know what we're doing to get ourselves to that position. So, I mean, I don't think they will, but, I mean, that's in the back of my mind. So, I have time plans and, and I have, like, a I have documentation on what I'm working on and where I'm going with it so that if we ever did get visited today, I can say this is what we're working towards and, and this is where we've got to go still, but this is what we're doing, right? Um after March, then everything that that they have asked us to change has to be in play. And the biggest component of this in my mind is getting people to understand corporations, what a corporation is, and what we are required to get to uh, support the beneficial ownership form, really, and um, those kind of new changes that came out. And that isn't easy to, to get people to grasp. Unless they're used to corporations, maybe they have one and they understand because they've got a minute book and they know what mm-hmm. it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough for some people, especially when they're doing a one-off, right? Um, to understand, like I had somebody phone me one day in the evening saying, "Hey, what is it I need for a, a corporate person?" And I'm like, "I can't talk about that in two minutes." <laughs> That's a training session, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. And it's it's um, it's it's difficult because there's a lot there. But I mean, it, once it's done, it's done. And once we're used to it, we're used to it, just like any other change totally. we've had. And you know, everybody will be feel feel so much better when they understand it all, um, or not. I'll feel so much better when everybody understands it all. Totally. But it's definitely a work in progress. What's the What's the clause nine title thing that you mentioned that drives you bananas that you want to clarify? The one we talk about, like David and I, I know I do anyways, I'm talking about it uh, multiple times in, in a given week. So the, the, um, actually, if anybody does legal update this year, they're talking about it again in legal update. I think they talked about it again uh, a few years back, but there's a, there's the clause nine trap, right? So it, it, when we're, when we're um, writing our average title, condition. We have a, a part of our title subject, the ones in our standard uh, clauses that David's got in there. Um, we've got the title clause, and then it says, uh, notwithstanding clause nine, I believe it is, that the um, the buyer acknowledges and accepts that the title will blah, blah, blah. Basically, that it's going to, that every non-financial encumbrance that they see on this title is coming with it when they buy this, buy the property. Yes. And it's, it's a very important acknowledgement clause because that Title Nine, if you go back to the CPS and read that, it doesn't actually accept. So when I talk about accept, it says it says in there that you're getting your title. This you know the seller selling yeah, the title clean, to the buyer, clear and free, free of all non-financial all charges. Accepts yeah. and it accepts things like covenants, restrictive covenants, and things like that. However, not all of the things that are on title that is that are. Um, uh, non-financial encumbrances fall under those exceptions. So, for instance, one of the common ones is a building scheme, right? A building scheme. Okay. So if if your title has a building scheme on it, it's not accepted under under clause nine. So, at the time of completion, the the uh, buyer's lawyer can say to the seller's lawyer, "We want this charge removed from title before we complete." And they can't get that off. And they may not be able to get that off, especially in two days or whatever they've got left to do, right? And so it's, it can be, it, it has caused deals to fall apart. So it's especially, like I said, in a market like this, if there's somebody barking up, you know, the, the seller's tree saying, hey, I'll give you 50 grand more if you can get out of the contract. Well, hey, they just found an out, right? So you have to be really, really clear. I'm sorry, that would be actually more on the buyer's side. Never mind. The buyer can get out, the seller can't. 
So, but that, but but that clause, that's in our standard forms, right? It's in our standard forms, but the funky thing is, is it's in everybody's standard forms. Because when you know, the knowledge base had it set up or in the council site that they had um, the standard title subject to the buyer approving or getting the title and being incorporated into. And then you had the option of title acknowledgement clause A and title acknowledgement clause B. Yeah. So it's all in some contracts and some brokerages when they when they do their standard forms or even if they don't have that, when people are writing their own contracts, they'll put it all together in one subject, title subject. And then when they go to remove that subject, they remove so it. They remove the whole thing. <laughs> and now you're in a you know, you're in a conundrum, right? Yeah. So it's one of the things I'm hoping to bring up at our next broker council session to see if there's a way we can get around it. What I could suggest is like what people some people do for their team disclosures is, you know, add an addendum with that title clause in it if you wanted to in your associated docs and say, you know, this has to be in the contract or something along those lines to get around it. I haven't found any other way. It's because it it seems to be left in the buyer's hands yet it's it's excruciatingly important for us when we're representing the, the sellers to make sure that the buyer uh, acknowledges and accepts this totally. a lot of people believe that just by initialing a title search and attaching it that they've acknowledged and accepted no they've acknowledged it but they haven't accepted it so it still doesn't cover you right hmm. yeah oh just another thing that we don't have totally right <laughs> <laughs> no we don't but, you know, but that's law, right? And that's, like I said, that's one of the things that makes it fascinating. Like I did the legal update the other day and there was a few little intricate things in there that I went, oh, yeah, she's right that we've been doing it this way for this long and now we've got this. And there's actually one or two that I want to talk about with David um, because I think they're pretty important. Um, but Yeah, anyway, and the vast majority of what we're talking about today is actually only relevant in the con well not uh, yeah most of what we're talking about today is relevant in the context of you know multiple offers no subjects if we've got traditional environment where you're writing offers subject to everything under the sun for 10 to 14 days then the risk drops through the floor in comparison to where we're at right now true however what i do find is people and this is this is kind of you know when we went from were you around when we did the press hard you're making 700 copies yeah that was that was kind of where i started one of like (laughs) probably the first the first few deals i did i actually Mm -hmm. wrote hand wrote on whatever it was pink blue white you know whatever whatever (laughs) whatever it was uh and then you know shortly thereafter we we got on to web forms and yeah Yeah. so back in in the early days uh, like I remember my first contract took me six hours to write because I was going back and forth between the licensee practice manual. So that was the you know book we had with all the clauses in it to find and then writing the clauses out. But the, the, the best thing about that was you have to actually see what you're writing. You actually had to read what you're writing yes. and hopefully you understood what you're writing. Yes, because right? you were so writing we're out the clause. And, yeah. yeah, and we're in a copy and paste world now where we just go, well, David has these clauses, so I'll put those in and then that should be all, which is kind of scary. Because doesn't you know we've got these guides? I like to call them suggested causes and phrases or guides that we have. So start here, but eliminate what you don't need that isn't relevant to your to your current deal, and add in what is relevant. And then to do that, you need to know obviously about the property. But part of what will help you know kind of things that you should be putting in or be alert unaware of is knowing what clauses are, are available to you. And those aren't just, that isn't the be-all, end-all. You may have to write your own clauses, which is fun in itself, right? So you should be aware of, of what we have, what the knowledge base has, 
Um, so spend some time. Like I, I, mean, I joke around about sitting at home and reading, you know, compliance stuff all the time because, you know, I actually do. But for people writing contracts, this is imperative stuff for them to know. And they should be, they should be aware of what all the clauses that we have, you know, Uh specific to the office, what is in the knowledge base and use those as guides, but at least also, you know, Hey, I remember seeing a clause about this and I know this applies to this property or it could apply to this property. I should go back and find that clause. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, Oh, yes. We could talk about the good old days. I think I saw a contract one time, and I won't get the wording exactly right, but I remember it was in the era where people were handwriting contracts still, or at least handwriting the clauses. And the yeah. condi- it was it was literally something like this. It was like, subject to the buyer, doing all of the necessary things. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> this condition <laughs> is for the sole benefit of the buyer. Like it didn't, didn't even write out inspection, financing. Nope, just all the things. We need to be subject you know to all the things. I still see that sometimes today. I see oh, some scary stuff. But yeah. It actually warms my heart. Me. It gives me warm and fuzzies. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> subject to everything. That's it. You don't like it? We won't do the deal. <laughs> I saw one. I just I questioned somebody on this the other day. You know, just yesterday, I saw one. And the last subject was subject to the buyer basically subject to the buyer deciding to go through with his deal. Like I that wasn't exactly that's what it said. It was, it was subject number seven. I'm like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was really good. Subject to the buyer yeah. going out tonight with his buddies, tying yeah. one on. If he wakes up tomorrow, still feels he likes it, then we'll do the deal. That's subject right. subject to that. I'm like, that's a little subjective. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, hey, you know what? It's up to the buyer. Yeah, you bet too. Well, it all got accepted. So we'll that's see what good. happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, I think we covered a lot. We did really good. We can, uh, that's, I I think that's very, uh, valuable, whatever. I found it very valuable. Blows my mind. Some of it. I can't, I can't believe some of the things, but whatever it is what it is. And we're all grown ups, and we got to be grown ups in the world and do things the right way. And, um, I think that that clears some common questions up. Uh, I will, I will say too, we'll make sure, uh, some of this pertinent stuff that we um, that we referenced, we'll have uh, we'll get it into the show notes or whatever, so people can like see links to sure. you know clauses or or whatever. Yeah. You know, not as a shameless plug, when I do those Wednesday sessions, this is the kind of stuff we talk about, like stuff that you know you're not necessarily going to hear about every day, or you know things that I, we pick up on because of you know things that I've done before, or you know, problems that we've experienced in the past and, and we've had to make, um, you know, find solutions for them or whatever. But these are the kind of things that I do on my Wednesday sessions to to help people um, with their contracts and cover their butts. And that's virtually every Wednesday. What time? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock via Zoom yeah. in this uh, COVID world we still seem to yep. find ourselves in. So and we yeah. will and we will get back to some level of in-person stuff when... Uh, well, as soon as we can. It's so much more fun. As soon as we can, totally. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, let's go for Mexican soon. And uh, we'll we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much for doing this, Natalie. Perfect. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.